So what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Maybe lots of different things come to mind, or maybe you think of different things in particular. Uh, Maybe it's all to do with singing and praising God and lifting up uh, our voices to him. Uh, Maybe that's the the connection you, you instantly make when you hear the word worship. Maybe it's a bit more than that. Maybe you think, well, it's what we do on a Sunday, isn't it? We, we come for our worship service and we sing together and we read the Bible and we pray and we, we look at the uh, kind of, you know, all the things we do before the sermon. That's kind of what we do as worship, isn't it? Or maybe it's the things we do in the week when we read our Bible or when we uh, pray and, and have what often we call a quiet time, something like that, spend a bit of time with God. Is that what when we worship? Well, you know, I don't think there's necessarily right or wrong but maybe that's just an aspect of worship but I think we're going to hopefully get a slightly bigger picture of that as we look at God's word today we're going to look at what some of what scripture teaches about this uh, and hopefully something that is good for us to understand uh, why, why are we doing this in the run-up to Easter maybe you're thinking that uh, worship was, was something we did some thinking about and praying about as elders earlier in the year uh, and I wanted to kind of feedback and, and share a bit more about that and that seemed seemed like a good time to do it because actually it connects quite well to to where we left things in the book of Exodus. Uh, If you remember in the book of Exodus, as we've seen in the last few weeks, uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and passed on the message from God, which was, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. There was a reason why God was rescuing his people, so that they could go and worship him. Uh, and so what does that mean? What does it look like? What, what did it mean for, for Israel, God's people, to, to worship him? We're going to think a bit, more, a bit, bit about that today uh, and then how it applies to us as well because we're called to worship God uh, in the same way. So we're going to think today about what worship is, kind of a big picture, big broad picture of that. Uh, and then next week we're going to maybe focus a bit more uh, intentionally on what we do together when we come together, when we have sort of gathered worship as a church family and think about you know, why we do the things we do there as well. So that's kind of what we're going to do. But we're going to start with this big question, what is worship? What is worship? And it's a huge topic. We could spend years looking at it and not cover you know, everything there is to know about this. Uh, so it's going to be a very basic overview. What we're going to do is we're going to begin in the Old Testament and we're going to look at a couple of passages there. We're going to go into the New Testament Uh, and see there and then we're going to carry on forward to today as well and think about what it means for us so let's let's dive into god's word let's look at at what it says um the couple of passages that that lucy read for us we're going to be picking up on as well Uh, and actually there's a couple of words used for worship in the old testament uh, that uh, we pick up in that chapter in exodus chapter 20 Remember, the exodus has happened by that point. They're in the desert. They receive the law uh, from God at Mount Sinai. uh, And it's a really key aspect of their worship of God, all of these things. Uh, And if you remember, I don't know if you noticed in verse 5, this is what it says. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, this is the context of what not to worship. He's talking about idols and uh, making false gods and then bowing down and worshipping them. The implication being actually they're supposed to be bowing down and worshipping him uh, instead. But you've got those two words there, to bow down and to worship. And both of those are quite closely linked. They, they come up again and again together as you look through, look through the Bible. Uh, and actually both words have uh, important aspects of worship in them. 
So take bow down, for example. It's often translated uh, as worship in, in other passages. In uh, Psalm 29, verse, uh, verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That word worship there is the same word as bow down in, in Exodus 20. Uh, so what we see is it's used in those kind of, kind of ways. I've got some diagrams this morning. I know if you're a diagram fan, enjoy them. If you're not, don't worry about it. Basically, these kind of show the usage uh, of the, so the, how the NIV translates the Hebrew word, if that makes sense. So um, the kind of frequency of the words that it uses instead of the Hebrew words. Uh, and as you can see, uh, more often than not, it's either worship or it's something to do with, with bowing down. And so this word is all about kind of bowing down for a superior as a sign of respect it's it's something humble something to, to do with humility responding to god because of who he is because of what he's done and uh, you know it's a, it's a sort of physical response to that bowing down not just outwardly but inwardly too because of who he is that's what they do in exodus chapter four we saw that a few weeks ago now uh, moses comes back from the desert and says look god's going to rescue us and the, the people's response is they bow down and worship. They, they sort of bow in reverent awe of God. So back to bow down, and then we have to worship as well. That, that's the second word in that Exodus passage. And that is more a word that translates as something to do with service or serving in other passages. So you can see again there it's often, more often than not, to do with serving rather than worship. But actually those two are very connected, that, that's my point. So it can mean things like just hard work, just farming, tilling the soil. But the usual sense of the word is to do with serving God or serving something else. So they're, they're either serving God or they're, they're serving idols and worshipping wrong things. And that kind of makes sense a bit of the, the context we saw in Exodus. Uh, you've got this kind of, they were, they were serving Pharaoh and it was awful. It was slavery. They were being treated brutally. But it was that same word. They were serving Pharaoh and now they were being released to serve God, to worship God. That was the response to, their res- to, his re- to God's rescue of them. They were saved to serve him, to worship him. That's what it means. So they were to live for God. All of their lives were, were to, commit, to be committed to serving him in whatever they did, to obey his commands, to offer the sacrifices. They were committed to follow him. And we, if you go back to that Exodus passage, you see, God is a jealous God. They would have no other idols, no, nothing else before God. God is jealous. That, it, it sounds weird, doesn't it, when we say that? Because jealousy in us is, is often an ugly thing. But when jealousy, when God is jealous, it's a beautiful thing. Because he deserves, he, he rightfully deserves our worship. And he's jealous for it. He wants us to fix our eyes on him and worship him. That's what that means. So, very quick, there you go. That, that, that's the kind of Old Testament picture. This sense of bowing down and then serving. Bowing down and serving. That there's kind of two aspects in response to who he is and what he's done. Then we move to the New Testament. And actually we see similar concepts playing out uh, in the New Testament. Have a look at Matthew chapter 4, uh, 1 to 10. Here you go. Jesus said to him, this is talking to Satan, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's being tempted in the desert. Satan's saying, bow down and worship me. And he says, and Jesus says, no, we should only worship the Lord God. He refers back to Deuteronomy uh, and says this. 
And actually, that word he uses for worship is the, the most prominent word for worship used in the New Testament. Uh, and it, it's a word... Well, I can put up the usage again. Here we go. More often than not, it's just translated worship. But you can see every now and then it's used to talk about kneeling down and bowing down. So there's something there. You see, we've talked about bowing down in the Old Testament. There's, there's a connection through to the New Testament. There's a, there's a similarity in the usage of the words. But the dictionary I have uh, describes it as this. I think this is really helpful. This is what, you know, how, how this word's explained. To express in attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. To fall down and worship. To do obeisance to. Prostrate oneself before. Do reverence to. Welcome respectfully. It's a big list, isn't it, of things, kind of what that word can mean. But isn't that helpful? That worship is this kind of complete dependence and submission to God. That's what we do. We, we, we surrender ourselves to him. We depend on him. We look to him for everything. And that means all of God. That's God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see in the New Testament that, that one of the key ways that we see that Jesus really was God was that people worshipped him. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, he, just before he goes up to heaven, the disciples see him, and as soon as they see him, they worship him. That's what they do. It's, it's that word, that this word of of, of depending on him, submitting to him, recognising that he is worthy of worship because he has conquered sin and death. And it's, it's, it's the right response. It's, it's the humble response saying, look, we are inadequate. We've received this undeserved grace and love. So we bow down, we worship him in awe, in thankfulness. So that's the kind of really key word that, that the New Testament uses. But we also read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and there's another word used for worship there in, in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See that worship, that's, that's a different word. And it's got more of a sense of to serve someone in a similar way to the Old Testament word. So you can see that it's, it's, it's not as frequent, but it's used for things like worship and serving and ministry and kind of doing it's an acting word you know it's responding in some way in worship how we serve in response we we see something similar in hebrews 9 verse 14 which says how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living god that's that that same root the same root as the worship word it's serving serving God that's our response of worship so that's a very very brief picture just a a real snippet at at what the Bible kind of points us to to think about as worship I've tried to just summarise it give a little definition of, of my own and this is what I came up with worship is our response to who God is and what he has done by humbly bowing in reverent awe and submission and serving him with our whole lives now, you know, I've come up with that myself. I'm sure we could tweak it and sharpen it and improve it, but hopefully that's a helpful kind of starting point. When we ask, what is worship? This is what we mean. This is what the Bible says that worship is. We're responding to who God is. We bow down, sort of, it's that, that posturing of, of our lives, of our hearts, submitting to him, depending on him, and then serving him, live, living to follow his commands and obey him in everything that we do. 
So I hope that's helpful. That's kind of just setting up uh, what we're what we're going to be thinking about uh, now, which is kind of what it means for us. What does worship actually? You know, how do we apply that to, to our own lives? Uh, what should it What should it mean for us when we think about worship? I've got three kind of key things for us to think about. Here's the first: our whole lives, our whole lives should be lives of worship. Our whole lives should be lives of worship. I think hopefully you've seen that a little glimpse of that as we've we've looked very briefly through through scripture that worship is this correct response to, to who God is and how we live kind of shows that we are worshiping him it's more than just coming together on a Sunday it's more than our quiet times in the week it's everything that we do that's why I chose a picture of just people going about their business living out their lives we see that in Romans 12 when we read that earlier We are called to to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's our true and proper worship. Everything about us, we offer to God in worship. Paul also says in another verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's helpful, isn't it? That's a helpful thing to remember. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever we do, we, we need to do that in worship to God. And I think that's really helpful. It's really easy for, for me as someone who you pay to kind of be up here and preach and, and do this sort of thing, to kind of stress the importance of serving the church and, and doing things for the church. And, and it's great, isn't it, that we do serve each other and, and what a privilege to do that as a church family. But I never want to give off the sense that somehow, you know, the effort that you put into the things that you do in your day-to-day life are somehow kind of second class or, or less important, less valuable. That, that's wrong. We are called, whatever we are called to do, we're called to do it for the glory of God, to do it in worship. We're called to serve him in how we live out our lives. Uh, and that's not just, you know, not just people in ministry, but, but whatever we do. So maybe you're at school. What does it look like to worship God at school? Is it about working for God rather than working because your parents tell you you have to or because you want to impress your teachers or maybe not working very hard because you can't be bothered. What does it look like to, to, to work for God in the midst of that? I'm sure it means working hard, but perhaps not too hard because you can trust God at the same time. You can, you can rest, you can take time off. I used, my, my parents used to encourage me to, to take a day off from homework and, and use Sunday as a day of worship. And it's a great blessing, isn't it, to, to be free to do that. Because we trust God with our work rather than trusting ourselves. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's how we live that out. How what you say, think about that. If you're at school at the minute or university, you know, how does how you live show what you worship? It's not just school, is it? It's, it's, it's all of us. Maybe for those of us who work. I'm sure, it's really hard if your work is kind of mind-numbingly dull. Or if, you, if your work colleagues or your boss is really difficult and hard to get on with. Is it tricky to, to go into your place of work with that mindset that actually all you're doing there is an act of worship to God? How do you show that in your quality of work? How do you show that in the relationships you build with your co-workers and your, and your friends? How do, you, how do you show how you live that out? It's a challenge for parents. Uh, are we reflecting God's love in, in our relationships with our children? Does how we spend our time with, with our children kind of show how we worship God 
Or does it show that maybe we're worshipping something else? Challenging for me, I know, maybe for you too. It's a, maybe a challenge and an encouragement for, for those of us who are single. Maybe, maybe you are single at the minute and you feel lonely and you feel isolated and it's, and it's hard, there's no doubt. But could it possibly be a blessing to be single? That sounds strange, doesn't it? But, but you, you can go to the, the Bible, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm not going to read these verses, but note them down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 32. And Paul says, you know what, it's great. If you're not married, you, you can be concerned about the Lord's affairs. You can please him. You can devote yourself to, in body and spirit to worshipping him. But if you're married, you, you've kind of got this divided interest. You, you've got to please your spouse as well. There's a challenge, isn't it? That actually, if you're single, you've got a great opportunity to be worshipping God with your whole heart, with that kind of real focus and dedication. What about for those, those of you who are retired? Uh, and thinking about how, how you spend your time well now that work is not the focus. What does it mean to, to worship God in your relationships with your loved ones? What does it look like now that you've got freedom to do more? Rather than just being comfortable, how do you worship, how do you serve God in your day-to-day life? There's lots of questions for us to reflect on, aren't there? There's lots of things for us to think about. How we worship. Hopefully that's just given you some, some food for thought. But there's a flip side to this, because in all of these areas, we've also got to think about, well, are there things in our lives that maybe get in the way of our worship? The, the, the sort of modern-day equivalent of the idols of the Old Testament. Do you know what? There, are thing, there will be things for, for all of us. We need to think about that as well, things that, that can get in the way of, of our worship, things that we hold on too closely to, that we spend too much time thinking about, things that take our eyes and our hearts away from the Lord. I was searching myself as I was preparing this and thinking, you know, what, what, what is it for me? A few came to mind my focus on possessions. I've got a brand new study at home. It's a great, it's a wonderful privilege and an honour to have that space and I hope to be able to use it for God's glory. I love furniture. I love kind of thinking about furniture and looking up reviews and thinking about what's going to fit the space best and I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking all about all these things and it's just a distraction. I'm not devoting myself to God. Then there's Formula One. Maybe there's other sports. Uh, other sports are available, maybe for you. I kind of wish it was on a Saturday, the race was on a Saturday, because then, you know, Sundays are always, you've got it in the back of your mind, perhaps, that it's a distraction. And you feel a bit annoyed if it's, you know, there's a really good race going on, and then, oh, we've got to go to church now. It, it can kind of be a sidetrack, and, and I need to examine my heart about that. Then there's time with my children. How often do I do that for God's glory? Or do I kind of... Just give my sort of dregs, frankly. You know, I'm really tired. I sit there on my phone. I'm not really giving my best for anyone. I'm not serving God by serving my family well. If you're struggling to think of things, then let me encourage you to, to ask someone who's close to you. Uh, maybe sometimes we might have blind spots, but others can, can see more clearly. I was in a home group once, uh, uh, not, not a KTC, but I remember a man saying, I can't think of a single way that I have sinned this week. He said that, I just can't think of a single way I've sinned. 
And his wife immediately said, I can. <laughs> and it was, it was hopefully humbling for him to see, actually, yeah, of course, of course you have sinned this week, you know. Uh, but sometimes we have blind spots and, and those that are close to us can help us spot them. For me this week, Pippa's helpfully helped me think about sleep as a potential idol. I have slept really badly this week and I've been really tired and I've just been tempted to think, do you know what, everything would be better if I just had my solid eight hours for just even one night. If Micah could stop waking up at three o'clock and if I could just sleep through, everything would be better. Rather than thinking, no, everything is better because God is on his throne and he loves me and I can trust him. And I'm far too quick to fall into that pattern of saying, oh, I, just, I just need more sleep. That's probably more than enough of my own heart, isn't it? Uh, I guess the question is, you know, what is it for you? What are the things that, that you know, where, where are you turning good things into ultimate things? Where are you exchanging the worship of the true glorious God for worship of other things? What areas of your life need to change? Maybe you need to that, that, that dependence, that submission, that surrender to him. Remember, God is a jealous God. It's a strong word, isn't it? But he deserves our worship. He wants our worship. Maybe we need to think about that afresh today and think, you know, is it really, do we really believe it's, it, it is worth losing everything else because we want to worship God? That's what scripture calls us to. It's not about the external sacrifices. Remember Romans 12, spiritual sacrifice, internal sacrifice, offering our bodies, offering our lives to him for his glory. But we do that. We can only do that when we see the love that he's shown us. The love shown to us at the cross, that loving welcome. He's, he's drawn us into his own family. He has taken our sin away. We have the hope of eternal life, of salvation, of victory over evil. And when we get that, when we really get that, then of course we, we respond in worship. That's, that's my prayer, that we would grasp this more, that we'd hold on to the world less tightly, perhaps. Second one, we can't fake our worship. We cannot fake our worship. There's a few verses in Matthew 15 that, that shows this really clearly. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. These were the religious teachers at the time of Jesus. And they had this huge focus on their kind of outward appearance, on their obedience and their commitment. And, and they looked like the, the good guys. But that was the problem. As long as they looked like they were the good guys, as long as they looked like they were doing all the right things, it didn't really matter what was going on inside, in their hearts. And it's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus is very clear in his condemnation here. Though your hearts are far from God and you worship in vain. That's a really bold statement, isn't it? Basically saying, look, if you're not worshipping from the heart, you are not worshipping at all. You're not worshipping God. If all we do is the kind of outward stuff, if we're not worshipping from our hearts, we cannot fake our worship. And I think that's really challenging, isn't it? We are part of a culture where appearance is really important. You know, we've moved into a new house and just aware of all these new people in our estate that we want to meet and you just kind of feel you want to give off a good impression 
surely we do that, don't we, at work or when we meet other people, we want to give off something good. And that seeps into our church and the Christian circles as well. And we end up thinking, well, so what if I'm kind of a bit disengaged from God and not really worshipping him? Because as long as people think that I'm okay and, and think that, you know, I'm looking all right on a Sunday, then it's all good. It's a foolish attitude. It's, it's worship in vain if we're not worshipping from our hearts. I, I know how easy it is because you kind of feel as an elder, then you, know, you think, well, surely, surely you've got to make sure that people think elders have it all together, right, all the time. Surely elders don't, don't struggle so much anymore. But no, we are still sinful. We still struggle. Life is still hard. And we shouldn't pretend otherwise because God knows our hearts. We cannot hide from him. He's looking for genuine worship. And part of that is depending on him for everything, on his grace, on the fact that he is the one who saves us. He's, he's never fooled by this kind of external performance. As if we put on some sort of box over our head and just pretend everything's okay. So let me encourage you to, to maybe think about that. Not to, to, to make sure that you're not faking your worship. And if you are struggling, if you are finding life hard at the minute, then please don't pretend otherwise. Be honest with God. Be, uh, be honest with your trusted Christian friends and church family. Those that you trust more closely no shame in that like i said we are all sinful we we come together because we need god's grace and part of our worship is recognizing that and seeking god's help and then encouraging each other to to, to, to grow and change and trust him more and we only do that if we're walking in the light if we're if we're if we're exposing these things to god's truth there is no point in faking worship it doesn't benefit you it doesn't benefit anyone else but maybe you're feeling, well, I'm kind of feeling a bit like that, like I am faking things. Does that mean I just need to, to stop coming to church and maybe I'll just go and hide away somewhere that maybe that's what's best? Well, let me encourage you to, to, to not do that, to, to do the opposite, really, almost to, to try and draw closer, even if it's hard. I went through a really difficult time a few years ago, and I really wanted to hide. But it's very difficult when you live in the, literally in the centre of a Christian college uh, as you're studying for ministry people walking past your sort of front window all the time uh, it was impossible to hide and actually it was good because I saw and I felt the love of God really closely when you know the friends that were around around me kind of stuck with me and, and prayed with me and encouraged me through that time and it's tempting to just hide away but actually you know, part of our worship is, is depending on God and and helping, letting others, letting others in to remind you of that. So let me encourage you not to, not to fake your worship. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that what we do is not important at all. You know, we, we could maybe think, well, in that case I can just do whatever I like because I'm saved by grace. But the Bible is very clear that we, we do want to respond with praise and, and worship and doing good and saying and, and, and doing good things. What we say and what we do, it does matter to God. But it matters because it, it comes from here. It comes from our hearts. Rather than, you know, trying to impress other people, that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for, for, for genuine heart response, uh, love and care for other people. And that leads on to the final point, which is this. Worship is about God rather than us. It's about God rather than us. Now, when worship becomes more about us, I've already spoken about what can happen. We can become hypocrites, like in the last points. Uh, 
Or we can kind of end up doing it for our own benefit because we kind of think we're going to get something from this. You know, I've spoken to people in the past, I might have said this, I can't remember. And the attitude's kind of been, well, God's just not holding up his end of the bargain. I'm doing all the right things, I'm worshipping him, but God's not blessing me like, he, like I'm, he's supposed to. And we can turn worship into something that's all about our own kind of benefit, our own blessing, our own prosperity. And we know, don't we, that some take it far too far and, and you've got the prosperity gospel where you kind of pay money and they promise blessing. It's not, that's not hopefully we're far from that. Challenge us if we're not, if we're ever saying foolish things like that. But I think sometimes, you know, when life maybe doesn't go as planned, when we lose loved ones, when we see suffering, when we face hardship, you just get this feeling that you're like, shouldn't it be different? You know, I've been faithful to God. Shouldn't, you know, why has God let this happen to me? That's a big question. We're not, you know, that's not the question to answer today. But do you see, the focus is in the wrong place. If we're looking at ourselves, we've got the focus of worship wrong. Because worship is our response to, to God, to who he is, to what he has done for us. God is the Lord of all. He is the creator. He, he is larger than the universe. He is holy and perfect. He's in control. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. He is the sovereign king. And he has saved us and loved us and welcomed us into his family by giving his own son in our place. What amazing love shown to us to save sinners like us. When we see this, when we truly grasp this, all we can do in response is surely is to worship him, to live for him in dependence, to serve him with our lives. If we lose sight of God, if we, if we take our eyes off of God, suddenly our problems become much bigger. God becomes smaller and, and less significant in our lives. My prayer today is that, that we would be a church that worships God from our hearts. But that is only possible. That's only possible with the help of God's Spirit. Actually, the Apostle Paul says it again in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, For it is we who are the circumcision, that's God's people, we who worship by the Spirit of God. That's, that's how this happens. You know, if we're left to our own devices, our own power, we can't possibly perceive or delight in how amazing God is. We just can't do it. Our, our sinful nature will not allow that. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, who gives us that spiritual sight, who helps us see clearly, who brings us from death to life. When we worship, we, we do it by the power of the Spirit. And if you're not a believer here today and you're listening to all this and maybe it doesn't make sense, then, then we encourage you to, to, to dig deeper into what worship is all about and why it's, it is the right response to a, a holy creator God. I'd love to talk more if you've got questions. That, that, I think we need to add that to that definition, don't we? It's our response to who God is and what he has done by humbly bowing in reverent awe and submission, serving him with our whole lives in the power of the Spirit. We don't just go away going, right, I'm going to try really hard to worship God more this week. And it becomes all about us again. We do it in the power of the Spirit. We do it in his strength. That's the only way. He is the one who gives us that ability to worship God. I know there's a lot there uh, in this sermon. I wonder if it might be good just to, to respond in prayer to this. And rather than just me praying, let me encourage you maybe to pray with the person next to you if you feel comfortable in doing that or praying in your own heart if you don't. But it would be good to hear prayers 
lifting up our, our voices to God. Let us pray together as a church about these things, about what it means to worship. And let's just respond, shall we? Just for, just for two or three minutes, we'll pray together in small groups and then I'll, I'll, I'll draw us to a close. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's spend a couple of minutes in prayer.